Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the calling that you have given us as a church. We praise you for the past several weeks as you've set aside time to meet with us, to remind us of who we are, why we're here, what we do, how we behave. So Lord, as we come to the end of this series and we consider the calling that you have on our lives, Lord, we pray first and foremost for your peace. Second, for a sense of clarity. And third, that you would open our hearts and our minds to once more hear what you have to say to us through your word. And I pray, O Lord, that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, this is the last week in our vision series called Clarity. We've been taking some time as a church to be reminded of why we exist and why we do what we do as a congregation. And to help us kind of understand that, we've been asking a series of clarifying questions. We started in the very, very first week with this question of why are we here? Why is Trinity here? For what reason do we exist And the answer that we drew directly from Jesus and from his own mission is this, is that we exist as a congregation so that everyone would experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give. We exist as a congregation so that everyone would experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give. And then the subsequent weeks, we've been kind of unpacking that and talking about, well, how do we actually do that? How do we live that out? And so we asked some other questions as well, such as, how do we behave? And we said that we as a church are a church that desires to be teachable, soft-hearted, and outwardly focused. Those are the values that kind of lie behind how we behave and how we interact and what we do. And then last week we talked about, well, specifically, what do we do? And we said, well, we make disciples. And we make disciples who grow in their relationships with God, others, and the world through worship, connect, and serve. That's what we talked about. And so this week, we're wrapping it all up by saying, so how do we stay focused? How do we stay focused on the mission that God has called us to? And this is a really important question because I think that staying focused is becoming increasingly more and more difficult to do. And here's what I mean. In 2015, Microsoft Consumer Insights in Canada did a study to kind of measure the impact that our digital age was having on the human attention span. And so what they did is they surveyed about 2,000 participants, but they also performed EEGs on 112 subjects, just trying to measure the human attention span and to, to kind of see how our digital age has been shaping that and impacting that. And here's what they found. They found that from the year 2000 to 2015, the human attention span dropped from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. Now that is staggering in and of itself, but it gets even more staggering when you realize that the average attention span of a goldfish is 9 seconds. (laughs) Which means that a goldfish does a better job of focusing on stuff than most human beings today. And we are about three minutes into the sermon, and if you're still with me, congratulations, you beat the goldfish. (laughs) But another thing that I found really, really interesting is as they looked at 18 to 24-year-olds, they found that 77% of 18 to 24-year-olds answered yes to the statement, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. That we actually have no idea how to even be bored. 
that we have to constantly be distracted and shift our attention to something that's more entertaining. And the problem with all of this is that in this age of distraction is that we are often missing out on living life. That that abundant life that Jesus called us to have is becoming harder and harder to keep our attention on because of all the things that are seeking to draw our attention away from that which is most important. I think that this is not too hard to see. I mean, how many of you have been, you know, you've intended to get a certain task done. Maybe you get on your phone and all you want to do is get directions to where you're going next. Or you get on your phone simply to check the weather. Or you go into the office and you're like, I have emails to address and projects that I'm going to work on. But then 20 clicks later, you find yourself watching something like this. All right, confession time. How many of you have actually seen this video in the past week? Yeah, okay, so you know that this has been going around on social media. It's like, I have stuff to do, and hey, look, a bulldog. Wow, that bulldog is riding a horse. That's crazy. We live in an age of distraction. That even with our best intentions, our our desire to stay focused is constantly being drawn away by goofy stuff like this. And so that question of how do we stay focused as a church is a vitally important one for us. How do we stay focused on the mission that God has called us to? And I would argue that you really need two things in order to be able to stay focused. The first is that we need to recover a sense of urgency. We need to recover a sense of urgency And we talked about how we exist so that everyone would experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Now that verse, that that mission kind of comes from this verse, John 10.10. Jesus said that his mission was to come so that people might have life and have it abundantly. But he, he says that mission in the context of a conflict. Because right before that, he says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, what Jesus says is that this mission that we have isn't just a nice idea. It's not just an altruistic reason for being. What he's saying is he's saying that there is a conflict between the forces of good and evil, that there are powers and forces out there in the world that seek to destroy, that seek to rob us of life, that seek to kill And Jesus says that I came to give you life and to give it abundantly because that is a mission in which people's lives hang in the balance. He's saying people's lives hang in the balance and so I have come to set them free. We need to recover a sense of urgency about this mission because when you realize you're in a fight, when you're being shot at, it's a lot easier to stay focused, isn't it? And Jesus says there is a battle going on and that we as the church joining him in that mission are participating in that battle, whether we like it or not. Human lives hang in the balance. We need to recover a sense of urgency. But the second thing that we need in order to stay focused is we need to have a clear set of priorities. Because priorities are great for when those distractions come along. When we're trying to do what we've been called to do and something kind of attractive comes by, priorities force us to pause, 
to slow down, to take a breath, and to ask ourselves the question, is that really what I should be doing right now? Is that really the best thing that I could be doing in order to live out the mission and the purpose to which God has called me? A clear set of priorities help us stay focused on that mission. A sense of urgency, a clear set of priorities, these are things that were operative for Jesus and for the early church. They are to be operative for us as well. So what was that sense of urgency that drove Jesus? What were the priorities that he had? Well, I think that a good way to explore that is by looking at the gospel text that was read for you earlier from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Now, you actually have this passage in your worship bulletin. It's on the back of that order of service. So go ahead and pull the passage out so that you can have that in front of you as we study it together. This is a very, very famous story. It's a story about a time when Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man. And I think that this story is important for us this morning because it highlights Jesus' sense of urgency and the priorities that he had. Here's how the passage begins. It says that they, speaking about Jesus and his disciples, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now I want to pause right there because there's a lot packed into just those first two verses. There's a lot there that Jesus' disciples and that early readers of this gospel would have been shocked by. The first is the place that Jesus goes to. It says that he went to the region of the Gerasenes. This is also an area where there was the Decapolis. This was a part of of that uh, area that was populated not by Jewish people, but by Gentile people. Which means that it was an area that was filled with people who didn't share the same cultural and religious background as Jesus and his disciples. It was a pagan region. And we read that Jesus goes there, and and this would have been shocking to Jesus' disciples because in their minds, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. He was the Savior of Israel. And for him to go to a Gentile region would have at very best seemed like a mindless detour, and at very, very worst, a distraction from the mission that he had been called to. Why would we go to that region? It's shocking and surprising, but it gets even more scandalous when we realize who Jesus goes there to meet. We read that he goes there to meet with a man who has an impure spirit who came from the tombs to meet him. We learn that this man has been living on the outskirts of his society, that he's been living out in the wilderness and in the tombs, crying out day and night, which means that he's an outcast in his own community. That he's an outcast from the pagan society that he was a part of. And again, in the disciples' mind, this is an outcast among outcasts. But more than that, as we read his story, we realize that this man is not only an outcast, this man is dangerous. For we go on, it says that this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him and night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This man is a man possessed by demons, a man of violence and anger. 
And it is in this violent and angry, this self-destructive and suicidal state that he comes tearing out of the tombs to confront Jesus. And the disciples would have looked at that and said that this is the last man that any of us should be around. But that's not how Jesus saw him. Because Jesus had a different sense of urgency and a different set of priorities. See, Jesus had a sense of urgency because whereas the disciples saw someone to be feared and someone to be marginalized, Jesus saw someone who desperately needed his help. He saw a man who was possessed by demons, who was cutting himself with stones and who desperately needed to be set free. One of the commentators that I was reading as he was looking at this text said it this way. He said that this account more graphically than any other in the Gospels indicates that the function of demonic possession is to distort and destroy the image of God in man. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes so that he may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus sees a man who is desperate for freedom. He has a sense of urgency which drives him to go to a place that no one else wants to go. That's what it means sometimes to be on mission with Jesus. Sometimes it means that we go to places that we might not initially want to go in order that Jesus might bring the freedom that only he can give. Jesus had a deep sense of urgency about his task, but we also get a glimpse of some of his priorities. First thing that we see in this text is that Jesus desires to make himself accessible. See, he doesn't wait for the demon-possessed man to clean his act up or to get himself in shape and find him. He doesn't wait for the demon-possessed man to come to where he is or to walk through his doors. Rather, we read that Jesus gets in the boat, he crosses the lake, he goes to the other side to meet this man where he is at. This man who would have been seen as spiritually and ceremonially unclean for living in tombs. Jesus goes and meets him where he is. He doesn't allow those barriers that would have existed in other people's minds to get in his way of making himself accessible to someone in need. Jesus meets him on his terms, where he is at, in order to bring him freedom and abundant life. Jesus' first priority is that he's accessible. But the second priority that Jesus had is that Jesus is relational. We read that he comes and he brings freedom to this man. He sets this man free from the demons that had been possessing him. But we also read that Jesus then spends time with him. It says that when the community comes out, they find the man who had been possessed sitting there with Jesus, dressed and in his right mind. Jesus knew this man. He spent time with him. But more than that, Jesus restored him to relationship. Because you see, the man wanted to go with Jesus. And when Jesus got back in the boat to return to the other side, he wanted to go with him. But instead, this is what Jesus tells him. He says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. See, Jesus wants to reconcile him to those relationships from which he had been estranged. He wants to move him back into community and connection with others from whom he'd been apart, from whom he'd been separated. So Jesus says, go, go back to your community. 
Go back to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Show them the mercy of God. Show them that you're no longer a man to be feared, but that you can rejoin that community as a full member of society. Jesus' desire was to heal relationships, to draw that man into a connection with the rest of his community once more. Jesus is accessible. He's relational. But the last priority that Jesus had is that he desired to bring transformation. We read that when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed sitting there dressed and in his right mind. It's this full healing, this full cleansing, this full restoration of the man to full and abundant life. That Jesus truly sets him free. But what's beautiful is the fact that Jesus not only wants transformation for this one man, he desires transformation for his entire community. Because bound up in that commission to go back to your own people and to tell them how much the Lord has done for you is a desire that Jesus has for the people to know about the grace of God as well. Because you see, when the community first comes and they see that this man has been cleansed, that the demons have been cast out, they're afraid of Jesus. And they say, get out of here. Leave this region. And so Jesus tells the man, go back. Tell them what God has done for you. And we read at the very end of this story that the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. What's beautiful is if you go a little bit further on in Mark's gospel, you find that Jesus actually comes back to this place. He comes back in Mark chapter 7, verses 31, all the way to eight chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 18. And when Jesus arrives back in the region of the Decapolis, now there is a crowd waiting to meet him. For we read that the people bring Jesus those who are sick, those who are demon-possessed, that he might heal them. Furthermore, they they spend time with Jesus actually sitting down and listening to Jesus' teaching. And it's actually here in this region that Jesus performs the miracle of feeding 4,000 people. See, a people who had previously been afraid of Jesus now desperately desire to have a relationship with him because of this one man's story of transformation. Jesus used this man's story of transformation to reach others. That's the story that he has for you and for I as well. Because this story, these priorities, this sense of urgency that Jesus had wasn't just for this one man, and it wasn't just for this one community. This is the same sense of urgency, this is the same set of priorities that brought Jesus into this world for you and for me. See, Jesus looked down on our broken world. He looked down on on our world that's torn apart by violence and hatred, by sin and death. And it was a sense of urgency that caused him to leave his throne in heaven and enter in and become one of us. But furthermore, we read that not only did that sense of urgency drive Jesus, but there was a sense of priority. We read that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus made himself accessible to us. God didn't wait for us to clean up our act. He didn't wait up on some high mountain for us to climb up to him to get our moral story in order, to get our behavior in right alignment with his will. Rather, God came into our world. He became one of us so that we might know him. 
He made himself accessible to us. But more than that, he was relational. He entered into relationship with us. John goes on to say that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, God made himself a human being so that human beings could come to know him. He came on terms that we could understand so that we could see him, talk with him, walk with him, eat with him, enter into relationship with him. God made himself accessible and relational. But last and certainly not least, he brought transformation. He did that on a cross. Because while Jesus went to the tombs to meet with this man, he went into a tomb for you and for me. He went into a tomb for us to rescue us from the punishment of our sin, to rescue us from the punishment that we deserve for all the ways in which we have turned our backs on God. He bore that on his own shoulders on the cross, but more than that, he rose again from the dead as a sign that he had conquered the powers of hell and death once and for all, so that anyone who believes in him has abundant life now and into eternity. I love how the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 6, 4. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus' sense of urgency and his priorities drove him to come into the world to rescue us. It was that deep and abundant love that led to him giving us deep and abundant life. What's beautiful about that is it's now a calling that he invites us to join him in. Just before he rose again from the dead, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What he's saying there is he's calling us to have the same sense of urgency and the same set of priorities that he has. He's saying, I want you to go into the world to see the world the way I see it as a world that desperately needs this message. To see people as people who are looking for life, abundant life in all the wrong places and to help them see that I can give it. He's calling us to be people who make ourselves accessible, relational, and who seek transformative renewal wherever God has placed us. This is part of the reason that we do what we do as a church. We desire to meet people where they're at. That's the reason why we plant more sites in other neighborhoods and in other locations around the Chicagoland area so that we can meet people where they're at. It's part of the reason that we don't have hymnals in our pews. Why? We put it up on a screen so that anybody can walk in, know where we are, and join in. It's part of the reason we say, don't just meet in Bible study here. Lead a small group in your neighborhood so that people can, can get to know you, so that you can get to know them, and so that you can draw them into relationship. This is why we're doing small group signups right now, is so that you can be in relationship with others and invite them into relationship too. This is part of the reason we say we're going to go out into the world and we are going to serve so that people will hear from our lips and see with our hands the transformative power of the gospel, the love that God has for them. And what Jesus says is, he says, when you participate in that mission, it is a joyous mission. 
This is why the Apostle John says that we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. He says there's joy when we live out this calling together. But this mission is, is a wonderful adventure to be on with Christ. It brings people into community with him. It brings people into community with each other. And ultimately, it overflows in joy and abundant life. This is part of the reason that we've been asking you to prayerfully consider what role God is calling you to play in this mission. That's why we gave you those commitment cards and asked you to examine areas of your life like generosity, like worship, like connect, like serve. And we're asking you, what does it mean for you to join with us and for us to go together as a church and helping people experience the abundant life that Christ came to give. And that's why this morning, we are going to take some time to make those commitments to God as an act of worship. Now, if you've brought your commitment cards back with you and you've been praying about those, this is a good time to get those out. And if you didn't have one, there should be some in your bulletin. And what we're going to do in a moment is we're just going to sing. We're going to sing a hymn of offering. And during the first two verses of that hymn, I just want you to reflect and to ask God, what commitment are you calling me to make? If you haven't had a time to do that, this is your time now to go ahead and fill that out. Or if you're a guest, to look at that Connect card and say, what first step might I take to learning more about the plan that God has for me? And then at the end of the second verse, the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to start passing the offering plates. And you can put your offering in there, but I would also encourage you to put your commitment cards in there as an act of worship. And we're going to spend some time, we're going to pray over those commitments when the hymn is done. But let me go ahead and let's, let me pray for us now, and then we're just going to do this as an act of worship as a whole family together. Lord, we thank you that you have invited us into an amazing, life-changing mission And now as we offer these gifts, the gifts of our lives back to you, Lord, we pray that joy would overflow, that you, Holy Spirit, would be empowering and strengthening our faith and then sending us with abundant life to give abundant life to all. So we offer these to you now, Lord, as an act of our worship. It's in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we say amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.